in 10 years, I'm going to look back and be like, fuck y'all. Like, yeah. I did what I wanted to do uh, when y'all were out partying, telling me to come, giving me shit. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. What's up, y'all? Welcome back. Another episode of Point Forward. I'm Andre. Man across from me on the screen is, as always, E.T., a.k.a. Evan Turner, a.k.a. Uh, Black White Chocolate. E.T. E.T. <laughs> No, I'm just What's speaking that? on, you know, you showed a lot of love. That was one of my favorite Evan Turner social media posts. Um right. when you were you were in the ar- archives of the um at All-Star Break and you were getting the shirt with uh white chocolate Jason Williams. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were talking about his handles and it was just it looked like it looked like it looked like um a documentary. A part of your documentary. So I'm thinking of like Yeezus or Genius, the Kanye oh. documentary. <laughs> no, it had no, that vibe to it. I'm like, damn, oh, like no, you took no, me yeah, back. Like it was probably, dope. It was dope. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, I think it was just good. Uh, the camera looked good, you know what I mean? But no, for real, the, the white chocolate joint, I, I used to really, uh, my first game watching was when he did that that joint to uh, to Gary Payton. You know what I'm saying? And from there, yeah, I was oh. going. Okay. Yeah, so I was like a was that before? Shirt. Was that was that before or after he did the behind the back off the elbow in the rookie game? That was like a little after. It's like the same timeline. Because I, I believe okay. he did it like okay. his rookie year. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. within two months. But yep. yeah, I was a big Copy. fan of white chocolate. I used to carry his card around in my wallet. Number 55 was my mm. shit. And then like all my games for like NBA Live and all that, I played for the Sacramento Kings, like alongside white chocolate. So that was uh, that was my guy back in the day. Interesting. Speaking of genius, Kanye, question for you. What was the first rap song you remember by heart? I think uh, it was probably, uh, I feel like it was, t- my dad was a big Tupac fan. So I, I kind of remember, if I had to remember one, it was like two of America's Most Wanted or something. Like one of them joints. Ah. Like, oh, yeah. I not actual, like the, ra- like the radio joint or whatever, but like an actual, like, as I got older. Yeah. Not like everybody knows yeah. Juicy and all that stuff, but I'm talking about like, where you like flowing and like going back and yeah. forth and like a picture perfect, a painter perfect, you know what I'm saying? Like that type of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah what about yeah, you? I, the first song that I remember, I'm kind of embarrassed. My, my parents were big Tupac fans as well. And so I remember everything. I go back to uh, Me Against the World. I was listening to that last week. Um, really? Me Against the World was probably one of my, it's probably my favorite Tupac album. And, um, but the first song I remember, like remembering, Baby Got Back, because I was going to uh, <laughs> I was going to the hood. Like we had the Boys and Girls Club and we had a place called the Center, like the community center, which was yeah. in the projects. And so I was around them a lot. And I used to hear them rapping. Uh, my and that kind of don't want none unless you got buns, <laughs> huh? You can do side bends or sit-ups. But like I remember them. And I just distinctly, I distinctly remember a kid saying, man, that song easy to remember. And uh, it became a joke as I got older. Anytime I saw a kid 
from back home rapping, I will always ask them, now say your ABCs. Because we know rap music more than we know. <laughs> yeah, but you sound like a parent. It's like, you better be able to remember that homework. Like, you remember that rap music. And it's like, like that, that shit don't even rhyme. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, what? Everybody's got a good MJ story. And so uh, I hear a lot of the times MJ will always yell, Y'all remember all the rap lyrics, but y'all can't remember none of the plays. And that's why he Man. really didn't like rap music. And so there goes our MJ clip <laughs> if we want to go viral. MJ doesn't like rap music because guys will remember the raps, but not the plays. And so this is a grain of salt with everything. That's crazy. But before we get deeper into, uh, what's this, the 50th year anniversary for hip hop? What year are we on? Oh, yeah, we're in the 50th year anniversary. Um, before we get there, today's guest is Austin Reeves. Another one where E.T. is still in the show because traffic in L.A. is traffic in L.A. And I was trying to get back on the court before I died again. But here we are. But before we get into the interview with the Rising Lakers star, this is where we remind you to look out for us on TikTok, IG, Substack, and the usuals at Point Forward. Also, make sure you're catching us on Apple, YouTube, or wherever you listen to or watch podcasts. We're still in March Madness. It feels crazy. Like that whole week of March Madness yeah. with the men and women, it felt like it was over already. Like it was a lot going on. Speaking of a lot going on, how's your bracket looking? No, I don't even want to talk. My bracket is, is shot. I was at the games this weekend. I saw FDU take out, you know, one of my final four guys in uh, Purdue. I thought they were going to win the championship. It's it's done. Let's not even let's not even talk about it. All right, let's try a different approach. How was the first weekend of the women's side for you? Um, Stanford lost. Stanford lost, which is terrible. Uh, yeah, bro, it's. I mean, Ohio State's still in. I mean, the first week we were down like, what, 16, 17 points at home to uh, James Madison. Came back, beat them, and then, uh, shoot, J.C. JC uh, Sloan hit a, a game winner versus North Carolina. So it's been going pretty good on that on that side. But I did not see Stanford getting eliminated. I, I did not. I didn't see that at all. Well, we got another couple weeks left. Entering the Sweet 16, Elite 8 territory, and then Final Four championship game. So we will keep. Chiming in on the men's and women's basketball tournament, especially the women's. Uh, my girl, Caitlin, she's still going crazy at Iowa. But let's dive into the topics. 2023 marks the 50th anniversary of hip hop. All of today's topics are based off the genre, the anniversary of just our love for hip hop. So let's get into it. Point forward. All right, E.T., so we were talking about um, our first songs we remember memorizing. Um, and you spoke on Tupac, Me Against the World. Um, I spoke on, uh, what's the name of that song? Baby Got Back? Is that the name of that song? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think I knew a Criss Cross song too. I was I was young enough. Criss Cross was around my era too. So I remember some Criss Cross. Criss Cross was on tour with Michael Jackson. Criss Cross was on tour with Michael Jackson? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a hell of a memory. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, know. Yeah, right, I, so on like, I was just watching like a Vlad interview like back like a while back, and that's when they was arguing like the Bow Wow Jermaine Dupree thing. Makes sense. Well, what were you listening to growing up? Like, what was playing around? What was playing in your household? I mean, Motown. Like, if I'm playing in my like my mom listened to Motown, so we weren't really mm -hmm. to listen to that. When I got around my dad, like he literally listened. It's ironic he brought up he listened to Too Short. And um, Tupac, and then um, my older brother, he listened to Wu Tang, and I remember like mm. being eight, eight or nine, like you know, um, 
you know, life after death. I, rem- I remember that being like a big part of like my childhood of just like elementary school, like earlier parts because yeah. my older brother listened to it. What about you? I think it's a Midwest thing where we're well-versed in uh, music, where we listen to R&B, we listen to rap. Um, you know, we listen to a lot of different stuff. Like Maxwell was played a lot in my household. Um, so I grew up on him. Obviously, um, I said Criss Cross. Tupac was huge. You know, it was like one of my favorite artists growing up. It was Michael Jackson, of course. But yeah. MC Hammer was like, that was my first concert I went to. <laughs> really? <laughs> MC Hammer was called. I guess like to answer that question, like my childhood idol, I told the homies this and they started dying laughing. Like, I remember being a kid and I was like the biggest Puff Daddy fan. Like I Puffy wanted to be dude. like, yeah, like, I wanted to be like Puff Daddy, like yeah. Puff Daddy and the fam. And then like yeah. from there, it switched to DMX, the Rough Rider, like around that time. Rough Riders. Yeah, Rough Riders and Eminem came in and, you know, Interscope Aftermath. And like, it was a whole like, man, that, that was a wild six years when you think about it. Of like who man. came on, who went out. That's inter- That's wild. My brother and I, when Mace and Puff would do songs together and we would stop the tape after every bar, write it down so we could memorize it. My brother was Puffy and I was Mace. <laughs> and we would rap the songs. So you you be doing more money, more problem, and all that. More money, more problems. What was that song? Being around yeah. the world, nah, the world, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been playing. I, I remember the original song. I remember that original song yeah. too. My mother listened yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all about the Benjamins. All about the Benjamins. So, yeah. So then, when you're in college, let's just say college, what was like the music that was? Damn, what music was popping in college? Once I got to college, I was I only listened to one person. No, two people. I grew up on Outkast. I'm almost forgot about that. I'm tripping. Like so, the big, the biggest influences on me were Tupac because my parents, and then uh, Outkast. They were big on Outkast. So like Southern playlist of Cadillac funky music. Like I was on yeah. that when it came out. And then my dad, my dad was, uh, my dad had music like the vinyl records. Like he had crates, yeah. like a lot of them. And he was the one telling me that you young kids, y'all just steal old music and recreate it. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I'm talking about MC Hammer, can't touch this. That was Rick James. So my pops yeah. put me on this at a young age. And so my pops was one of the first dudes that I saw that had, uh, remember like that BMI, the music, uh, it was like a music subscription club. It was a music club. My dad was on that. And so I heard a lot right. of music. Um, but once I got, so Andre 3000, as I got older, I started tapping into, uh, because I grew up like in Big Boy, but as I got older, I fell into 3000 and Jay-Z. I was a big Nelly fan too for a minute. Because it was St. Louis. Low key, I was a Locks fan as well. My brother was a Locks fan. The Locks, yeah. Like, and I was yeah. my, my favorite was Sheik Luch. I didn't realize he was the worst one until we got older, <laughs> apparently. I was like, damn, Sheik Luch one shit. Like, when when's this album dropping? That's what that's what he's always think. Like, when is shit dropping? I I almost want to ask this question because uh I was a big Joe Budden fan. Um, all his new musics, like Joe Budden's yeah. a really good rapper. Like him as, like he's an amazing rapper. Like he's one of the best rappers, talking about lyricists. He's really good at that. But the funny thing was he critiqued Red Man and Method Man, I think, and the Wu-Tang Clan came and beat him up, right? This was like 10 oh, years ago, yeah. right? <laughs> this is when like streaming first came out when people were like, yeah. like remember when uh, Stefan Marbury had his computer and he was streaming the car got to wreck, whatever. And yeah. so uh, this was like, Joe Budden was like podcast streaming a long time ago. 
but it came and got him. So I was going to ask you what was uh, one of the worst CDs you ever bought. And I will not forget. And I love, I've been watching the uh, Wu-Tang series. Incredible. Okay. Incredible. One of my favorite shows. Wu-Tang series on Hulu is really good. Like the Rizzo does an incredible job. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I was a big, yeah, I was a big yeah. Method Man fan. And what I learned now that I didn't know back then was like most of the time they were making really crappy records with two good songs on the whole album. Like you two out of 18. Like it was rare you got a great album. And I remember uh, I bought the Cal 2000 album and it had that one song with D'Angelo and I'm thinking I got a hit. Man, it was nothing on that album, fam. Man. You know how hard it is to get ten dollars at twelve years old, <laughs> fam. I felt like my I could have used this ten dollars a lot better. <laughs> no, I, I forced my too, I forced myself to listen to this album. That's why you got to buy uh, back in the day. You have to buy that. What now? That's what I call music shit. Oh you know yeah, what I'm about? yeah, they come with like eighteen. Yeah, yeah. 18 of the, like, now that's what I call music hip hop. And they come with like 18 songs that was just slamming, I guess. Yeah. And just, that's true. And that's from there. I, I don't think I ever okay, bought I, like a bad CD. Really? You bought Sheet Luke nah, album, I, ain't bro. Buy, I mean, you come, don't do that. <laughs> you just said he was the worst one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit. By far, I didn't really, when you break it down, yeah, he was, but he, he was hot to me. I think. Man, I don't know if I ever really bought any terrible albums. I bought some shit where I was like, yeah. I bought a couple. Somebody from the Dungeon family tricked me one time. Oh, I'm a big CeeLo fan. Big CeeLo fan. I, man, I love this dude to death. I guess like the one shit I had bought where I was like, damn, like he, what is he doing? Um, that second Big Sean album, Hall of Fame. But yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it interesting because Big Sean got classic albums. No, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. But the second one, and like how much I was waiting for it and like everything like that on like Hall of Fame. And then you finish up with the finally famous mixtape, the finally famous oh, yeah. album. Then you go right into that. Joint. I didn't know where he went with it. Like, I mean, I still hit the streets arguing for him, but I was still like, damn, Sean. It's one of the situations well, where. You get some rappers who have better mixtapes than albums. And I know was I know one guy who his all his mixtapes are classics. And it was really hard for him to put a good album together. Like, and he finally put one together with the OG project. Like that was a like good Wiz album. Or who? But or fabulous. About, uh, fabulous. Fab. Fab always had like, well, I guess this the the music he had on albums were like commercial. And it was never quite like the same fab because his mixtapes were crazy. Yeah, but he still would get some commercial songs off, which was impressive. Most That's what I'm saying. But the album songs, is like, like, like you be killing them, all that. But it's two out of 16, though. That's what I'm saying. Like two, yeah. three out of 15, 16 tracks. Yeah, but he'll make up for it with a Friday night freestyle. No, no, just all his joints. Uh, what was Fabulous' uh, mixtapes? He had three of them. Back to do the damn thing. The soul tapes. Yeah, you like those, like, yeah, Riesling and then TINC, yeah, yeah, Funeral Fab was good, but the soul tape, he had three soul tapes that were incredible, incredible because he was using a lot of Kanye beats, he used uh J Electronica beats, yeah. um, yeah, he he he, he had a wave and Fab yeah, been around for a while, for a while, yeah, yeah two, two, two decades basically. All right, off the top of your head, the uh, last one on this, what song can you rap front to back without? Skipping the beat, not missing a word. 
If you had to pick one with your life on the line. The Way I Am by Eminem. I knew you was going to say something like that. Kavon Lee would be upset. Why, why, no, you got your why, one. Why, I don't you can have it. I'm you just saying, it. but like every time I bring up Eminem, dudes be like, like, like I just ruined the whole vibe. Like, Eminem is an amazing rapper. All right, then. So then what about you, big dog? Uh, we gonna be all right, Kendrick Lamar. By Kendrick Lamar, I probably the second verse. No, nah, I'm lying, that, bro. I'm the like, bro, second, I hate that the damn second, song. you crazy? You I mean, it's a good it? song, but it's like, come, it's like we gonna be and all when right. When I wake like, up, I listen. That's I recognize solo. you're trying to take was... me for the pay cut. We talking about we in the collective bargaining agreement too. You know, like yeah, they always want us to take a pay cut. No, nah, that's real. I'm just saying. How much I be looking like, at you from the face down? Painkillers only put me in the twilight. I'm in the cast right now. I'm feeling that song right now. This man is. <laughs> this man. <laughs> Painkillers. <laughs> yeah, man. You definitely. You you deep in there now. You in you in it. Uh, nah. If I had to pick a song, uh, it would probably be a um, it'd be a Jay Z song. Um, you don't know. I feel like that would be your song. You don't know or Renegade. I feel like Renegade. Nah, I, I wouldn't I, be Renegade. If I had to do a song, I would take Eminem out. I, I would take Not the Way I Am. I would do Renegade. There you go. I could do there that you bar go. for bar. Uh, I would probably take Volume Two because that was the first Jay Z album I bought. Uh, a song off Volume Two. Um, Gifting and Curves. No. Uh, Hard Knock Life, Volume Two. Oh. All I do is rap and sex. Imagine I was stroke. Seeing I was falling on my last uh, set. Yeah. Rapper fire like a what? blast in the tech. And yeah. Fabulous sampled that song too. Yeah. You love you some some fat. No, I, I was like Fabulous was one of the first rappers I ever saw in person, and I was listening to him when, in high school. So I was, yeah. you know how that go. That's why you still like Drake. You met him first. I, anyway, oh, March is still Women's History Month. I don't even understand it. We should just do Women's History all the time. But anyway, um, so we'll continue that trend. But along the lines of hip hop, acknowledging some of the legends and trailblazing women, the number one female album of all time is The Miseducation of Loring Hill. And it's so 18 million. What I'm admitting is I still... I'm trying to figure out. All right. I, 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 I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm still working on it. Like, I'm, I'm listening to Dissect. Dissect is helping me. I only got to, like, the fourth song. But every, but every time, I'm like, why? What am I missing? I think I just may not be in Man, the right state of mind. I don't. You don't feel. <laughs> if that's, that's what I'm case, saying. You, I, that's, that's what I'm saying. Painkillers to put bro. me in the it twilight. Don't take, it, they don't take all day to recognize sunshine. Bro, that's wild, bro. Are you dead serious? I'm, you don't I don't know what's wrong with me. It's something wrong with me. I'm admitting that. And and Two Live, our guy Tom Two Live, who is the I don't even know how to explain him. Uh, but he was someone how I would not think listening to Lauren Hill was like, yo, that's the greatest yeah. album of all time. When he said that, I said, Oh, it's something really wrong with me. Yeah. Cause his favorite song is probably X Factor. That's the best song on earth. You just you just can't listen to it without breaking down. No, maybe I just need to go away for a while, and I, yeah, I'm, you're I'm planning on taking. I'm taking a sabbatical at some point soon in my life, and this will be the only album I listen to. Well, she performs this summer at a Made in America in Philadelphia, so I mean, we ain't going. You should probably. I'm not gonna lie. I'm finna. I'm finna be up out there. You I'm going? That serious. I Fam, fucking hate all that stuff. I'm, go, I'm going. <laughs> bro, I'm going. Lauren Hill. You might not see her. I'm going. Again. 
I'm risking she, it. She might not show up. Then I'm going to go to the crib. But I am I am tripping. I apologize again because Missy Elliott was my favorite artist for like a good yeah. three-year run. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> Bro, one minute, man. I mean, I don't know why yeah. that came to my head, but that whole beat was crazy. Hot boy, like everything. Bro. But Jay Jay was on One Minute Man. So it's Ludacris. Which who'd you like better, the Ludacris version or the whole version? All right, let me stop. But don't do Luda like that. Ludacris right. is cold. No, Luda's nice. No, Luda was nice. Right, Luda, Luda had a great right. run. Luda had a great run. This, that's rare that you get Ludacris uh, careers, which are longevity, multiple albums, and he wasn't like a gangster, so he wasn't talking about killing people, but he like he could just rap about. Everything and that made him special. Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm and a like, big Ludacris fan, and he was so creative, bro. Like even how he flowed yeah. and shit, it was just different. Yeah. Like you always felt his yeah. energy. Like every every opportunity he had, he just yeah. killed it. Like yeah. rap freestyle in the basements, all that. He was really up there, bro. Shout out to Nicki Minaj. I've never like listened to a Nicki Minaj album, but um, I remember being Foxy a King Brown of Brown was dope. Foxy Brown was dope. My pops put me on a Foxy Brown. Um, yeah, it's sad what happened to her. Like she had like a career engine injury, and cause she had the uh, she got a hearing problem, so she can't. Oh, I, I think she she might be uh, hearing impaired in one ear. Yeah, so shout out to all the ladies doing it. Point forward. All right, uh, down for that, clown for that. Um, as you well know, if you're a regular, uh, Et and I, um, we do agree on a lot of things except for um, Caucasian rappers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I still don't get it. Bubba no, Sparks all, is still cut. Bubba Sparks. All right, let's just keep going. We'll, we'll bro, go. I got all Eminem albums except okay, for cool. uh, that he had a one bad album later on. But I, I'm, I'm an Eminem fan. He nice. Um, but down for that clown for that. Et and I, we do agree on most things um, because we are best friends. Uh, but we do take the opportunity to. Uh, have a debate on certain subjects. And uh, this is a hip hop episode. And um, considering how our community is uh, treated as African-Americans. Uh, and speaking of To Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar, and I said, we're going to be all right. I can remember the album. This falls right into that uh, same kind of subject matter. So the city of San Francisco and their committee um, are suggesting that they give back reparations to African-Americans uh, who have lived in the city. Um, because if you don't know all listeners, African-Americans are the only marginalized group that have not received reparations for our past traumas. Any other group that has been marginalized or that has been mistreated throughout history of earth have been paid back in some form or fashion, whether it be land, whether it be, um, you know, resources, some type of materials, uh, tax credits, so on and so forth. Uh, we still left behind as usual. And so with the city of San Francisco, they are suggesting that every black resident get $5 million and a, and a single family home for $1. I don't know why we're asked if we down for this or clown for this, but it's an interesting discussion. E.T., tell me why you're down for it, because I know you're not going to clown it. No, I'm down for it because any sign of reparations is a start. You know what I'm saying? And I think uh, one thing that occurs, occurs if you, you got that 5M cash, you can make some flip, and then you get a home for a dollar. I mean. You can flip that. You can flip that, take that there. And that's why I'm, yeah, that's, that's, why why I'm that's why I'm down. That's why I'm down in it. That's why I'm clowning it. No, that's why I'm clowning it. What? Tell me. Because it's like, 
you know, I wore, I wore a group economics on the back of my jersey during the bubble. Mm-hmm. And it's really, you know, um, we're, the, we're one of the few, group, we're the only group who doesn't, we don't practice, you know, reinvesting in our own communities. That means buying from your own stores, family-owned stores, you know, building your own family uh, stores, you know, uh, you know, whether it's a laundromat uh, or whether it's a uh, farmer's market or you're growing your own foods or you have your own clothing stores. Like, once you start reinvesting in your community, that's how you build up uh, the value of your community, which in turn uh, raises the value of your spending dollar, of your property, so on and so forth, right? It's like a trickle-down effect. And so we don't practice that. And so one of the things that were said was from um, Chairman Fred Hampton when he said, uh, you don't beat capitalism with black capitalism and the money will end up leaving the community almost as quickly as it came in, you know, because we're always the last to get something. And so I think it should come with financial education. How about that? Oh, no, of course. I mean, I'm going without saying, I would hope in this day and age, as many people, if you look on social media, people, the theme is like self-development and be smart with this and reinvest in black community. Like now we're going to see, you know what I mean? Like if people really going to keep up with, with how they saying it's like uh my uncle elroy said i love the hood i love the hood i ain't the type to get a little money and leave the hood like let's see but as soon as i got that money i was gone like you know what i'm saying i think like i would hope everybody in my family and every so on are going to talk about like investing in black it's all we preach on like i think Mm -hmm. it should come with financial education but where, where, where else you don't have to when you got the bread and stuff like I feel as though black folks didn't want to. Clearly, everybody likes nice things, but if you can make something in your area and I guess gentrify it to the way you want it to do go, there's a possibility to do so with the bread, and everybody's gonna have money. No, I, I, I'm definitely down for it. Like I would never be, I would never clown that. But you know, I think we would have to understand what, like everything's yeah. just thrown at us so fast, and before we even realize, yeah, what we got is. You know, it was mismanaged because the systems in place don't even aren't advantageous to us. And so I was listening to Burner Boy and Burner Boy spoke on, you know, um, you know, he's one of the uh, more famous uh, African musical artists, you know, from Nigeria. And he was saying, you know, uh, African-Americans have no home. It's like they don't go back to African like the Italian-Americans go back to Italy. Uh, Mexican-Americans go back to Mexico, so on and so forth. Everywhere, you know, Chinese-Americans go back to China. And it's like, you know, how can we set up a home base back in Africa where we can, you know, that can be our spot to go back to. Like, all right, where are you going for vacation? I'm going back to Africa. You know what I mean? And so I think that I'm trying to go back. Ghana is the move. Ghana is the move. Accra is pretty crazy. Now, you on here talking and I'm on here talking. When we going to make the move? Bro, I asked you like for four or five summers to go to Africa, dog. Oh, no, I've been to Africa. I'm just saying like, I'm talking about. I'm talking about put our stake in that joint. Like, you know how they went on the moon and said, this ours, and just put a flag there and said, we on the yeah, moon. Yeah, all right, we like, go we all over there. The, the way the cost of living is over there, like, shit, we go over there and do that right now, but we have to do that, like, right now. There we go. Point forward. Now, let's get into Evan's conversation with Austin Reeves. I've changed the name of our Cream episodes to the Minority Report. Uh, Austin is an undrafted <laughs> native of Newark, Arkansas. I almost went to school there. He's getting a lot of attention as the Lakers have uh, been making a run. He's shooting a lot of free throws. Um, This kid can play some ball, though. And like I said before, this one's an E.T. ISO. And as usual, E.T. delivers. I'm really excited for y'all to hear this one. Our conversation with Austin Reeves of the Los Angeles Lakers. (laughs) 
let's get into it, bro. I, I, I want to start back into uh, your upbringing. Um, we just spoke on it earlier. You're from a small town, uh, 1,200 people from Newark, Arkansas. You graduated with a class of 52 people. So uh, how did that person, Austin Reeves, a.k.a. the hillbilly Kobe, <laughs> make it to the NBA? Uh, this, it's been a great story, um, honestly. And I only played one year AAU, so I wasn't really you know, into basketball like that. I played baseball more so growing up. Um, but both of my parents played at Arkansas State. My brother plays in Germany now. Um, and I remember being probably eighth grade and him dragging me to the gym because I think he's seen something in me that I didn't even see. I was wanting to go hang out with my friends and uh, run around and do stupid shit, to be honest. Um, but he was making me go to the gym, get up, you know, 500 shots a day, play one-on-one -on -one all day. And I think it just, uh, he instilled something in me that I knew I was going to have to do. Uh, and it was work harder than everybody else. And my journey's been uh, nothing less than, you know, uh, intriguing, honestly, just because, you know, not many people make it um, from where I'm from. Because people from like small towns don't yeah. give a fuck about nothing. Nothing. <laughs> like they at don't. all. I'm never going to leave here. They, it don't fucking matter. They don't. They don't <laughs> leave there. They don't so, leave. So you come from a town of 1,200. When you had these big aspirations of being an NBA player, what was the response to that? I came from Chicago and all my friends were like, bro, you're not making it to the league. So I can only imagine how it was with you. Like, how did you keep up the resilience to believe in your dream? And also just stay your course. As a young individual, everybody worries about their environment and what people think and follow follow the crew. Yeah, I was I was more so the person to be like, in 10 years, I'm going to look back and be like, fuck y'all. Like, yeah. I did what I wanted to do uh, when y'all were out partying, telling me to come, giving me shit. Hop um, in the back of the pickup truck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what it was. But Varsity boots. I, I, you, yeah, you joke, but that's that's basically what it's like. Um, but yeah, no, they. I definitely got a lot of a lot of shit um, for you know chasing my dream. Um, but like you said, I I just wanted to to make it and then look back when I did and basically throw the middle finger up and move on. How much does your mom love it, bro? Because I know your mom was a real, like, because she averaged yeah. 20 a game in college, and she's like, damn, my, my little boy, he's playing for the Lakers. Like, he's really going out to do it. Does she ever, like, sit up and be like, yo, you got to go get 15 tonight? Or, like, <laughs> like Austin, like, we need you we need you in the second unit to guard. You know what I mean? Yeah, she definitely, uh, when I have bad games, she lets me know about it. She we don't she don't get too high for the good ones, but it's the bad ones I hear most about. Um why I didn't do this, why I did this, why I have four turnovers. Um, so it's the it's the the hard love that, that comes from that side most of the time. But you know, she she's been doing that since I was five years old. So it's it's normal. All right, that's good. You are you keep bringing up your brother Spencer and everything like that. Can you, can you talk about what it was like for him to push you to get into the league? Does he ever feel a type of way of pushing you to get into the league, having the blueprint to do so, but then also, you know, using his passport to play overseas? Uh, he he would never show it to me. Um, I I don't think it bothers him because he's happy for me. But at the same time, you know, he, every hooper has the the dream of playing in the league. Um, Who wins in one on ones when you go back home? Uh, sadly. 
I, I'm not going to say he beats me more than I beat him, but he gives me more fits playing one-on-one than anybody I play. Yeah. He, he knows, every, knows everything about me. Yeah. Makes he lefty, makes everything. Uh, I feel like I'm a decent defender, but he, he makes me look like a bad one. That's real. So at the beginning, when you first started the game and your brother was pushing you towards it, like, what were you thinking? Were you like, yo, just get off my back? Or when did that belief come in that you were like, yo, this could be a real thing? Because you saw your parents, they're both Division One athletes. I don't think you gave your mom enough credit for who she who she is. Anytime you drop 20 in college, you're a real-life baller, and she averaged Hooper. 20. Hooper. And um, it's funny because your dad was the all-time or top He's five in assists, five, right? Yeah. Top five. And it's kind of funny how your game matches that of a, a pretty great scorer, but then that of an all-around playmaker. At what point did you, you know, who were who certain people you looked up to when you watched the game? Uh, at a young age, I was uh, uh, honestly a Kobe fan. Um, it was, you know, very ironic that I ended up on the Lakers. I was one person that, you know, I would always been, you know, idolizing and really wanted to meet. And, you know, unfortunate with you know, what happened to him and his family um, and everybody else that was involved. But I really like Joe Ingles. That was someone okay. that, <laughs> okay. you know, he he figures it out. Yeah, for he, sure. Absolutely. He, Joe's he, tough. Yeah. He can he can do multiple yeah. things. He can play, make, he can make shots. You know, he's pesky on the defensive end and he talks, he talks a lot of trash. Yeah, um, and he can definitely elevate his play to that of a superstar of like, he can go point for point with Paul George or for whoever sure. else but during that time. Yeah. yeah, and then he's not he's not scared of the moment. You know, yeah. he, he likes big time moments. Um, but before all that, you know, I, I looked up to both of my parents. Uh, we used to joke around the house that, you know, dad couldn't score because uh, mom, you know, like you said, averaged 20, 21 yeah. uh, when she was at Arkansas State. Um, so we gave him a lot of shit about that. Um, but like you said, he was, you know, top five in assists. So um, I kind of, you know, tried to, figure out how to put those two together and become an overall player. And then my brother is, you know, the, the icing on the cake. You know, he taught me everything I needed to know about basketball. That's real. So so when you were going into basketball and everything like that and you left from there, you started off at Wichita State. How would you go about that? Because you went from coming from a small town and being able to garner division one after one year at AAU. Uh, it was... Interesting, because I only had probably three or four scholarship offers. Um, I think I averaged thirty-two my senior year, like eight and five, and it was it was crickets. Uh, like besides, other than I think it was like Wichita State, South Dakota State, Arkansas State finally offered, um, but they were going through a coaching change. Did ever like were your parents kind of like being like you should go to Arkansas State or in no, the back no. of your mind did you ever think like what was it Red Hawks or something what's Arkansas uh, State the Red Wolves Red I think. Wolves yeah okay no they never they never pushed me to that honestly they were probably more more mad that they didn't offer earlier or offer my brother um so it was kind of a a bad taste in their mouth I think just because you know so close and they had played there that uh they didn't kind of capitalize on that opportunity because if my brother would have went there I probably would have ended up going there um but you know I went to Wichita after you know my senior year and it was a different different life you know and I was young I was 17 yeah. when I graduated so I was basically a kid still yeah so what what was it like at Wichita that kind of was it kind of like fish out of water type situation because that yeah surprisingly enough Wichita State is a big 
big town compared to where you're from, correct? No, it definitely was. Uh, and, you know, they had just, I think, two years before went to the Final Four. Yeah. Fred Van Vliet, Ron Baker. So they was they were really good. Um, so we had a whole new team with a lot of expectation. And, you know, everybody uh, basically rid us, written us off uh, before the year. So, you know, we had something to prove when we were going in there uh, as a collective group. I understand that. So when it came down to it, I know at at uh, Wichita State you kind of average you average like six a game there, and then you transfer up, which is very rare. And you, I mean, I remember seeing you in college, and I was like, oh okay, six four white kid, first team all, you know. Yep. What what really clicked on for you? Uh, so we had played Oklahoma the two years uh, when I was at Wichita State, and uh, Coach Kruger's a uh, a player's coach, uh, and that was basically the opposite of what. I had at Wichita State, so I was looking to go somewhere that I was able to kind of be more myself instead of, uh, you know, really like that plug sure. plug and play, like glue guy that, you know, figures it out. You can do multiple different things. So I was just trying to get to a situation where, you know, I could be more myself and um, really just hoop, honestly. Where'd that confidence come from? Because usually people are dropping confidence after you do two years and not be using a you know precise situation that you want to so were you always confident being like yo i can ball like i know yeah. for sure there's a next level because i know you never thought you'd make it to the nba but there's a level enough to be like yo i'm i'm better than how they're using me yeah no definitely um but i've never really been the best player on my team uh like even in high school my freshman and sophomore year, my brother was our best player, and it wasn't even close. And then junior and senior year, I was the best player. Um, so I always had learned to figure it out. So I didn't really think about it. I always just thought about what was best for the team. I was a team player, wanted to win. Um, but like you said, like I knew I could do more, and I knew if I just got in the right opportunity and playing for a player's coach that basically is like, go hoop. Uh, you know, you know, everybody, everybody wants that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an understatement. So at what point at Oklahoma did you know kind of that, like, your dream, or when did your dream of making it to the NBA become a real thing? And then when did you know it could be a reality? When were you like, oh, shit, like, I'm no longer Austin Reeves from Newark, Arkansas, but, like, I'm actually like a ball player everywhere I go. Like, this is... Yeah, uh, it, it happened pretty soon, because uh, when I transferred... Uh, I think we played pickup in the summer a couple of times and I was killing. Uh, one of the assistant coaches had called uh, one of my guys to help me get recruited and was like, basically, you undersold him. Like, he's better than what you said. And he was like, well, are you complaining? And he was like, no, 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 we're good. But uh, I was walking out to the parking lot and Coach Kruger was walking out behind me and he stopped me and he was like, I, I think you could be a, a first round pick after, because uh, I redshirted one year. And then, then I was like, damn, like, this man has seen a lot of basketball, coached a, coached a lot of players. Um, you know, like I said, seen a lot of good players. So once he said it, it kind of, you know, was reality. That's real. So from there you went, you killed, you were able to be first team, you know, all conference and everything like that at Oklahoma. You leave, you decide to go out. And I think one unique thing about your situation, you were kind of like a chosen undrafted rookie, right? Can you go into that? Um, there was a really high interest going into the draft that if I didn't get drafted, that, uh, LA was one me on a two way. And so kind of going into the draft, uh, you know, my agents did a really good job of like 
laying everything out. I didn't have to press and I didn't have to, you know, if someone called it, like I think it was Detroit called it 42 and was like, we'll take him on a two-way. I uh, didn't have to like jump on that opportunity because I knew like a better situation uh, was was kind of already on the table. Um, so I think that happened a couple of times in the draft, like in the 40s and the 50s. And, you know, as, as sad as it, was, as it was to not hear my name called, like I feel like we did the right thing. Which, I mean, what gave you so much confidence to say we did the right thing and reject Detroit and sign a two-way deal to L.A.? I remember, uh, you know, being a free agent and talking about going to L.A. and the guys, Mitch Kupchick's like, well, you know, we have a guy here that likes to pass, shoot, and dribble and control and facilitate. What gave you so much confidence to be like, I can make it here, I can get a deal, and I can find my niche in the league? Uh, Alongside uh, the second greatest player of all time. The second. I mean, MJ. Okay, is not yeah, even, don't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> this man's yeah, crazy, okay. right? Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, everybody wants to go off numbers now. No, so no, no, no. Hey, you doing your job, okay. too. Like, <laughs> if Brian was watching this, like, I would be like, yo, why didn't you ask him the second? So, uh, like, I, I respect yeah, that, man. Sure. There you go. Sure. Get your money, baby. Um no, honestly, one of the one of the biggest factors into all of it was was actually LeBron. Like, yeah. it was someone that I knew and my agents knew that we would connect on a on a um, IQ level of basketball, and it was always just the opportunity if I got that I knew I would capitalize on just because it's there's there's some difficulties, but you know he makes the game so much easier for everybody else if you can. Think if that. you think the game, like yeah. if you you understand how he likes to play, like what he wants players to do, um, you know, he's whatever you say, second best player in the world for for a reason. You know, he he does everything really well and he made it he made it easy for me because we kind of connected um pretty fast on just an IQ level. All right, we'll go back to I keep harping on like you're pretty chill and I would never guess you're from Arkansas. But go back from Walking out of Newark, Arkansas, into walking into the NBA and the LA Lakers. Like, what type of culture shock was that for you? Uh, I'm a homebody, so I, I chill in the house. I don't really go. I you don't, don't really be go at high or nah, nothing like that. Nah, okay, I don't I think I've been to Hive once. Oh, okay. <laughs> nah, I've, I think I've been to Delilah a couple times just to <laughs> eat, but I'm a homebody. Uh, I play the game, play a lot of golf. Um, so, in my spare time, that's what I'm doing. But it definitely was. Traffic sucks. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing worse than L.A. traffic. Um, but weather's beautiful. Yeah, everything's good. Oh, I understand. So you talked about IQ earlier um, with LeBron James. And I know if Dre was here, he would for sure uh, bring up your capabilities because we talk about point four is based off a certain role and position. For somebody that started so late, how would your IQ get so high? Because you, it's very rare you see guys in lead that, Sometimes it'd be one-trick ponies, but you actually come out and do a whole slot of work. Yeah, I think it was – I honestly just think it was instilled in me at a young age. Uh, my, both my parents know the game. My brother knows the game. Uh, I always tell him all the time he needs to be a coach because he'd be wearing me out with the stuff I do wrong. Um, but it's for me, it's simple. Um, uh, as, like, the IQ part of the game, just uh, everything that – like, I feel like you should do just makes sense to me. So I don't really know where it came from, but I'm, I'm happy I have it. I understand. So you seem pretty hip. We, uh, I want to ask a question. Have you seen the movie Baby Boy? No. On our show, we have this 
this part called Guns and Butter, and it's basically uh, from the scenes from the movie Baby Boys with Vivian Reigns. It's talking about uh, you know the micro decisions that you made in the past that pretty much paid huge dividends, and you know later in life. What do you mm-hmm. think occurred where you know? 10, 12 years ago that really has you living in LA, living a life right now? Uh, I sacrificed a lot of, you know, going out, partying. Um, that wasn't really what I did when, you know, even when I was 10th, 11th grade, I was always in the gym. So, and that's what, like I said, my brother taught me was, you know, you're from a town of 1,200 people. Uh, you know, the school's really little, didn't play you. So, you gotta you gotta work way way harder than everybody else is because everybody else you know from big big cities you know getting notoriety even you know if my skill level is just as good as theirs it's not gonna matter um so I sacrificed a lot of you know social events to go hang out with with my friends and and have fun but you know I wouldn't trade it. Right. Do you ever feel any type of pressure when, uh, you know, you show up as Austin Reeves, but this prior to was a Caruso city? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not in a uh, sense? Nah. I mean, that's a compliment. Caruso's, yeah. nah, Caruso's he, a beat. He, he's, he's, I, I got the question the other day, basically, because we get compared a lot, like, well, what our similarities were. And I did I said that, you know, we were white and we played for the Lakers. Um, and that's really about it. But that's nothing against him. He's you know, figured out how to be, you know, a really, really good on-ball defender. And, you know, like like um, I said earlier about with Bron, you know, he's an IQ player as well that, you know, fit really good with Bron. I understand. What, um, obviously you had some big moments. To start, like, your rookie year and everything, go through, like, what the feeling was the first play, like, your first full slide of minutes, and then, you know, carry on to finish off to get the reputation that you have now because everybody remembers the Denver game. They remember the game winners, they remember the 30 point joints. Like Yeah. Uh so I got a I got a DMP the first game. I think I think we played Golden State actually. Uh they smacked us by like 30. And I think it was when my first career ever DMP. So I was like I was tweaking afterwards. I, I was I didn't know how to act. I, I looked at my agents and was like, y'all, y'all witness history tonight. Like this was my first one. Um, and I didn't know, you know, how that was going to go, um, from there on out. Um, but game two, I think we were playing Phoenix and I think we were getting beat by like 25 at the end of the third. And coach was like, Austin, go like start the fourth, whatever. And I think we went on like a 15 0 run, kind of made it a game late. Not really. It was a little too late, but uh after that I was I was in rotation basically the whole year. I had a little couple DMPs late, but uh it was it was exciting. Like I said, I, I always figured out a way to, you know, fill the fill the gaps that we uh, needed to be filled. Um obviously we didn't win like we wanted to last yeah. year, but um uh, for me it was it was a really good season. Yeah. What was one of the moments uh in that season where it's like a coming to the league moment? Like, who, who – you saw LeBron, of course, but, like, who did you face where you're like, damn, this is this is who I've been waiting to see? Or, like, I saw you growing up, or I can't believe yeah. I really played versus this person. Like uh, like you said, first off, it was LeBron in, in training camp. Uh, he was – he gave me complete problems. I guarded him, like, three, three straight possessions, and 
Fade away, fade away, fade away, cash, all of them. Next. I didn't see that mismatch coming, to be honest. With no, you. me either. I, I was I was looking around like, why am I guarding him? But every time down the court, I guess I was just in the, the wrong position. But uh, obviously, he was talking a lot of shit. Um, but other than that, um, probably Damian Lillard. Um, That's right. He just he just gave me some work uh, <laughs> about game. two weeks ago. Yeah, forty and probably you went, you went under on the screen. Nah, I went on over. He still <laughs> made. <laughs> he he got hot early, uh, and then I checked in and uh, yeah. tried tried to guard him. You know how that goes when someone's already hot. Thanks, Patrick. Or Pat. Pat, yeah, well, was, Pat, Pat was already gone, okay. but he did do the 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 watch thing and. I'm sure he remembered that. <laughs> so dur during that time, like you've seen certain people that um, you know you so much struggle with in that sense. But one thing that you've done that's very impressive. We have the cream episode where it's rare that a white player makes an elite, but it's even crazier that an undrafted player is able to make it. And I kind of want to dive deeper into that in regards to the mindset you need to have and um, the resilience you need to have because this is a tough league. You see top picks not be able to perform or come out and you know play at a high level what what went into that day in and day out for you to be coming back and you know garnering an extension and being in a rotation for you know a playoff team yeah I mean if it started off just being taking one day at a time obviously but I mean making every day you know as as good as it can be be the first one to the gym it was just simple stuff uh and put in the work um because at the end of the day uh, you know how it goes. Like if you try to take shortcuts and you know mess with the game a little bit, it 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 doesn't end up well for you. So it was more so just do the right things uh, on and off the court, and then other than that, just believe in yourself. Uh, I feel like, like you said, you have you have top guys that that end up not not making it, uh, and it's not because of skill. It, something along the lines, of maybe like on a mentality or. You know, they, they lost a little bit of, um, you know, confidence in their self. But, you know, you always got to kind of remind yourself that you're you're in the league for a reason. You're obviously, you know, pretty good at basketball. So that was really the main thing for me, just all the little things that I could do to make an impression on anybody. Um, do those. Does it get any tougher? I mean, obviously during the, the Big 12 season and, you know, the media and everything, just show up and get the – new type of media and, and you know kind of coverage it's like you guys are under a microscope especially considering playing with LeBron James how was that adjustment for you I played with Darius Morris you know he said that fan base was yeah. 10 times way different and more harder yeah no I mean you just it is what it is like you know playing with Bron even like Russ AD like he's I think last year we had that one time six Hall of Famers on the team so you know, everything that you do is going to, like you said, be under a microscope. Um, but it, the the media, I mean, they can't really do much if you don't give them much. Um, say the right things, you know, play the game and you'll be fine. You, you talk about entering the room with like six Hall of Famers. What was that like? Because that's more intimidating yeah. than what you think. And, no and, doubt. And, and at the end of the day, those are not only great players, but they're accountable. So No doubt. It was... So we did, like, Bron has a mini camp every year uh, the the weekend before training camp starts. And we went to Vegas, and I remember uh, first one at the gym, but everybody starts piling in. You know, you see 
Russ, you see AD, Bron, Dwight, uh, who else we have? Melo, Rondo. And then you had on top of that, you had guys that have been in the league 10 plus years. So everybody was basically solidified. And they didn't have to do anything else for their career. Um, everything they did was basically extra. So it was uh it was fun, but like you said, it's it was a little like I remember we were doing just a basic five on O drill and Brian drove a baseline and you know, threw me a dart to the corner. And the, the, it was literally all slow motion. Like the first thing that popped in my head was I was like, please catch it. Like <laughs> just catch the ball. And the second was, so it's in the corner, left corner, I remember. And next was like, just don't hit the backboard. I don't care if you hit rim, don't hit the side of the backboard. Don't care if you miss it. Just don't, don't hit the backboard. Uh, so I shot it and I'm like, yeah, it felt horrible, but it went all net. And I was, it was a big sigh of relief. I was like, Whew, we're going to, we're going to get through this. All right. Every year the Lakers think they're in position. Like how long was it before it became normal? And you're just like, okay, I'm going to go hoop at Staples tonight. So it was, I was, I, thank God Brown had the mini camp. Uh, cause you know, none of the coaches were really there. Um, and that was basically my time to, to get all the butterflies away. Uh, like I said earlier, the, the pass he made me that whole day was a little iffy. Uh, the next day was a lot better. And then when we got into training camp, it was just, it came down to hooping. So that's something I've been doing for a long time. You want to know how you really, when you know you're really hooping as a youngster, when like the vets give you like free shit all the time. So they'll be like, yo, you know what, bro, here goes some gear. Here goes an extra bag. Hey, Austin, here goes a watch. Like, what was something where, obviously, you had to do rookie duties, but you're just like, damn, OG, OG looked out for me. No, to be honest, I, I didn't really, I didn't really give much. Man, y'all too, right? They did you like that. They did me like that, man. But I mean, I will say, Rondo looked out. Um, he was the one mostly asking me to go get stuff. Um, so he would he would hand me a couple of dollars when I got back. But other than that, you know, Brian Brian's actually real low maintenance. Uh, yeah, I think he asked me one time to go get an Xbox remote. Um, so I obviously did that. He gave me a couple of dollars. Uh, but they let me they let me skate pretty pretty good. That's good. I remember one time I was talking to Vince Carter and um, he had showed up to my daughter's birthday party and like he sat behind me on a bus and I used to just be like, damn, I'm talking to Vince Carter. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So when you go do yeah. like the rookie duties, it's like a sign of pride and be like, damn, I just really yeah. got this shit for Rondo no, and Brian. No doubt. There was actually the first day of the mini camp, Russ had, uh, he FaceTimed me. I was on the phone with my mom, but I didn't have his number. I had no idea who it was, so I kind of ignored it. Uh, whatever. So, continued talking to my mom. Got done, and then he texts me. This is this is Russ. I need you to call me. I was like, "What the hell could this be about?" So he asked for me to go to CVS and get some. I forgot what it was, but come back. And he was like, "I'm in room whatever." So I go up, and I he opens the door. So Brian, I just man. I just walked in. And it was Brian, Russ, a couple of Brian's friends. Uh, and I was that that was one of the moments I was like, damn, like bringing Russ melatonin. Yeah, I yeah, no, that was uh that was one of those moments I was just like, damn, like I'm really here. You had six Hall of Famers. Who did you take the most from? Like that you thought you could pattern your game after? Uh you can say pat Brian. no pattern game. Pat Beth. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, good one. Um, <laughs> none of them, honestly. Um, but I'd learned the most from Rondo. Like I was always in his ear asking him questions. Like you said a while ago, he's IQ, you know, you can arguably second to none. Uh, you know, you got him and Brown, obviously. And I asked Brown a lot of questions, but, um, Frank Vogel come up to me early and was like, I want you to, you know, be around Rondo, like ask him whatever. And it got to the point where I I was asking him so much questions that I was like, damn, if I was him, I'd be annoyed. So I told him, I was like, look, if I ever ask you a question you don't want to answer, just tell me to fuck off. Like yeah, simple, like though. simple. Yeah. But um, yeah, I learned a little bit from everybody. Uh, they're all obviously you know, really good. You also learn what it's like to uh, start the season with a coach and then not have a coach. That's true. <laughs> was that uh, was that unique, or once Vogel went down, did that kind of give you like the green light to be like, forget it? I mean, Brian's sitting down, like. Well, he actually he he made the whole season. Oh yeah, yeah, he did. He got. I, I thought he got fired once he, Brian sat down. No, like, he in got. My head, that was he got over. fired. <laughs> at, he got fired as we were walking off the court the last game of the year. Didn't even get to the locker room. What was that like? Um. <laughs> uh, it was, it was different, uh, you know, because this is my first year. Never seen anything like it. But we get to the locker room. I think everybody knew it was about to happen. Um, and then our our media person came up and told us, you know, that he had got fired, and me and Malik were going to do media. And it was, she was just basically like, "We're I'm giving you a heads up," and that's all they asked about was was about Frank. But did you see him after? What was his face like? He was Saudi. Uh, no, nah, I mean, everybody knew it was happening. Yeah. Uh, it was, you had the feeling, um, and it was kind of expected. So, um, we'll go back to a time, you know, I know a lot of people in the league that, you know, kind of play dividends early on in your career, but who's the one person that you could pinpoint that really made a huge, you know, lead to get you where you want to go? I know you mentioned your brother, but was there anybody outside of that? Uh, honestly, no, not really. Uh, I have a really small circle. Um, my parents, my brothers, family. You're from Newark, Arkansas, yeah, so it's only twelve hundred people. That's that's a fact. <laughs> um, but pro wise, uh, like I said, I was a huge Kobe fan. Uh, just loved the the mentality around, you know, everything he did. Uh, the way he approached the game was was probably my favorite thing, and you know he. He played like he, he didn't sit out much. Um, he competed every night. So that was outside of my family. Um, probably the one person that, you know, I could uh, I could say it affected me as just an athlete playing mm-hmm. all sports. When you arrived, what was the craziest story, like Kobe story you ever heard that we probably don't know? I know a lot of people, it floats around and you hear the mama mentality. But was there something where it's just like, yo, you know, Kobe did this or Kobe did that, that you for sure are like, oh, there's no way or like you adapted it yourself? Uh, I heard a story one time about just basically his workout, uh, just the how like detailed it was, which everybody knows, but said that he was doing, you know, a simple like pivot or something. And like someone had left the gym and came back three hours later, and he was still doing the same thing three hours later. Uh, and it just speaks to, you know, who he was. So as you go on with your career, and you obviously have a big reputation coming from where you're coming from, you see what they say about Kobe. What type of steps do you want to take for, you know, to continue to build to your story and to your Wikipedia? Uh, honestly, it's just somebody that is – 
normal, honestly. Uh, I, I mean, don't, I don't from, think it, I mean to make the NBA from yeah, where but you're I, from I don't think then, I don't think of myself as you know any different than a normal human, honestly. That's right. Um, so I want to be accessible, uh, someone that people can reach, you know, talk to, um, and you know, just on the court be as good as I can possibly be, and then off the court just be a good person. Also, too, we always want there, you know, you have a lot of great things that come with success, but what's the downfalls of success that you think that you encounter, like suffering from success? What's been the toughest thing about jumping into this lifestyle and in a short three years of going from Wichita to becoming Hillbilly Kobe? <laughs> uh, I mean, the main thing is uh, you really sacrifice, you know, time with loved ones, um, family. Um, would be probably my main thing. Uh, uh, but I'm very fortunate that my, my mother don't work anymore. She, she travels out here quite a bit so I can see her. Um, but my brother plays in Germany also. So I see him maybe a month out of the year. Um, so, but he's successful in what he's doing. He's, you know, he's hooping over there. Um, so it's, I wouldn't want it any other way, but you know, those are the people that I, you know, grew up with was around every day and it's is different to you know not have that so when we talk careers and we talk about you know staying focused and you know trying to carry everything out strong ideally what what do you want your next five to ten year plan to look like uh obviously still want to be hooping uh the lakers or are you just gonna be like brian it, you you hiding me too much man. <laughs> i gotta get up out of here and go to no, nah, he he don't he like I said, me and Brian have a good chemistry. Um I would like to be here. Uh, you know, it's it's the NBA though. It's a business at the end of the day. Um and unfortunately for me, I didn't I wasn't, you know, I don't want to say talented enough to to come in the league at 18, 19 years old. So um a couple contracts behind, you know, um somebody that is a one and done. So um, anybody that says we don't play the game for money to me is lying because I'd feel like, you know, if if you wasn't getting paid, I don't know if you would be here doing it. Obviously, everybody loves the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I want to, you know, make as much money as I can and, you know, be as successful as I can no matter where it's at. And then you're going to take it all back to Arkansas? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm going to live in Arkansas. I'm going to live somewhere where I can golf every day. Okay, that's not too shabby. <laughs> that's good. Well, look, man, we appreciate you pulling up. Enjoyed it. Um, thanks for giving us your time, clearly. Sorry uh, my buddy Dre was gone. But it's all good. He it's all good. We're, you said you wanted to be accessible, so when you get that deal, we'll come in. You, you can announce where you're going to sign to on point four. Say so. less. I'm going to pull the, the Pat Bev. He did it on his podcast. Perfect. So <laughs> we'll see you June 29th, and we'll drop we'll drop July 1st. That makes sense? Hey, y'all tell me where. All right. Say less. Yeah.